Have you ever wanted to know what makes a great church? Well, welcome to the Highland Ministry Podcast. Today, Pastor Mike Wiggins brings the message, Building a Great Church, and helps answer that question. Would you take your Bibles, please, and open them this morning to 1 Peter, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2, and um, as we share together this morning, uh, and I'm uh, going to... Uh, read this in just a moment. But let me just uh, share with you next Sunday, uh, Cindy and I will be up in uh, Alabama. I'll be uh, preaching at a church that that we went to when I first got out of seminary. We were there for almost four years, and um, they had asked me back some time ago to do their homecoming. And so I'll be uh, preaching up there. But then the following Sunday, I'm going to start a series uh, of messages that just a, just a few, just a very short series talking about paradox. And we're going to talk about, you know, uh, slavery is freedom and, and uh, leading is serving and all these different things, looking at how we see one thing. And then the, uh, of course, the paradox is, uh, is you know, stating one thing that is uh, opposite. And, uh, and so we will be uh, talking about that in the, in the days ahead. As we look at this passage of Scripture today, we will uh, be looking at it as we go along and talking today about building a great church. Now, for, Peter is writing at a time in the life of the church where living in the Christian world, uh, or Christians living in that world at that time, uh, was very difficult because the world was getting uh, uh, the very hostile, the world they lived in, hostile to Christianity. And uh, so there was rising persecution that you know and you've heard of Nero's persecution and uh, how bad that persecution was. But it even got worse than that as the days uh, uh, went along and years uh, got along and got even worse as we come to the close of that first century during the reign of Domitian. But it was a very, very difficult time to be a Christian. And so we're going to talk about that because I believe that it is getting harder and harder to be a Christian today. I, I believe that the world, in many respects, our culture is really uh, against Christianity, and, uh, and so uh, it, is, it is getting tougher. And, but we're going to talk about building a great church. You know, I heard about a little 10-year-old boy who came in one day to his mom after church on a Sunday, and, and he told his mom that he had decided that he was going to be a minister when he grew up. And uh, she said, well, that's great, son. She said, but what made you decide that? And he said, well, I have to go to church every Sunday anyway. And I figure that it would be a lot more fun to stand up there and yell than to sit back here and listen. <laughs> well, I don't yell a lot when I preach, and I'm not hoping to yell today. But I hope that we'll do a lot of listening here today because I think this is a very, very important subject that we're going to look at together. You know, sometimes we hear people say, speaking about a church, they'll say, you know what, that is a great church. Yeah, you, you've probably said that. I've said that. And, uh, you know, that's a great church. I've heard about that church or whatever, and that's a great church. Well, you know, what do they mean when they say that? Or they say, well, that's a big church. Are they saying, well, you know, that church has lots of buildings and they're pretty buildings and all of those kind of things? 
Or, or maybe they're saying, well, you know, that church is great because it has a, it has a really great, you know, you know well-known people that are in that church. What are people talking about when they say that is a great church? Well, that's what I hope to answer this morning and uh, talk about what makes a church great. Let me tell you something. The church, and, and what I'm going to talk about today is really very basic. It is what we're supposed to be doing as a church of the Lord Jesus. If you're, if you're looking for a strategy, you know, and, and we all need a strategy. We, we did a lot of those kind of things and planning and, and all the things that we did in the church I just uh, uh, retired from. And, uh, uh, you know, we did a lot of that and strategizing. And that's very, very important. But you see, the Lord gives us a strategy and it's right here in his word. And... Um, and you see, the church is really in the people building business. That's our business. We're in the people building business. We're, we're not in the business of building buildings or programs or, or bank accounts. We are in the people building business. But what, what, but what do most people think of when they think about a church? They usually think about, now be honest, when you think about a church, somebody mentions a church, you usually think about the building, don't you? It's the building. There's a lot of misunderstanding about, you know, what the church is. And for most people, it is just the building. You remember that little thing we used to do? We'd put our hands together and we'd say, here's the church, you know, here's the steeple, open the doors and here's the people, right? All right. So we, we, we kind of equate church with the building. But you see, the Bible teaches that the church is not a building. It's not what the Bible teaches us. It's not a building, but it's a group of people who, who share a common faith, who have a common task, who meet regularly to express an uncommon devotion to the Lord. And our text makes this very plain, and we're going to look at it, part of it right now in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I have several scriptures that I'll be sharing with you this morning. But here, here's what Peter says. He says, as we come to him, that is, as we come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, as it's calling us, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you see, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is made up not of bricks and mortar, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is made up of living stones. That's, that's the people, right? People who have come to know Jesus Christ. People who have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And so our business is to, is to build and building this greater church is by building people. And we say, well, what kind of people? What kind of people? Well, I, I've, uh, you have it there in your outline. First of all, it, it is people who believe the great confession. And you see, I'm tempted to say there, in fact, I will say, 
who believe the great confession to avoid the great confusion. You see, the great confession refers to what we believe. That is what makes us Christians. It's what we believe. Christianity is a rather unique religion, so unique that many would contend that, and, and, and I am one of those, that you don't even really use the word religion to talk about Christianity. But because, but because scholars and historians use that, we use it nonetheless. The uniqueness is this. You know, the, most religions are about ceremonies, aren't they? Ceremonies and laws and rituals and ethnic traditions. But Christianity is about a person. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. But some might protest and say, well, other religions are about persons too. I mean, Buddhism is about Buddha. Islam is about Muhammad. Confucianism is about Confucius, right? Well, that's yes and no. Because you see, each of these are really not about those individuals. More, They are more about the teachings of those individuals. And so you would say, well, Christianity is also about the teachings of Jesus. But it's a lot more. It's not just about the teachings. Most of all, Christianity is about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's what it's about. Not just about what he taught. Now, it's about what he taught, but it's, it's more than that. Now, the term great confession refers to an interchange that happened between our Lord and his disciples. It happened at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is a beautiful place. Uh, Cindy and I have been there, and it, it is a beautiful place. It's, it, it, when we went there, it was just so cool in these beautiful waters. And, and, but it's a place where uh, there's a lot of pagan worship and pagan rituals that are practiced there. And it was there at Caesarea Philippi that we find these words in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. It says, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say <clears throat> that the Son of Man is? And they said, they say John the Baptist, some say John the Baptist rather, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You see, we are not first about building people who go to church who get baptized, who give money generously, or even obey the Ten Commandments, if you will. As good as and important as all of those things may be, our first goal is to build it with people who make the great confession. 
People who believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, that He is the God-intended payment for the sins of men, that He is the revelation of the Creator in human form, that He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and that He died, was buried, and rose again, ascended into heaven, and is one day coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's what we believe. That's the confession we make. You know, I had a good friend several years ago, this is way back several years ago, and he was pastoring a church. And he confided with me because he was struggling. There was this man in the church who was in, on the deacon body. He's a very respected man. <clears throat> and he said, listen, Mike, <clears throat> he said, this man doesn't believe in the deity of Jesus. <clears throat> he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. And folks, listen, you can be a deacon, you can be a preacher, you can be a Sunday school teacher, you can be a pillar of a church, but if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is a Messiah, then according to what I understand about the Bible, you don't know Jesus. You don't have an understanding. You, don't, you have not come to a faith in Jesus Christ. You see, listen. We're in the people building business. We believe in, we, we are building people who, who believe that the difference between eternal life and eternal death is between, is the difference between do and did. You said, Mike, what do you mean by that? You see, listen, if my destiny is determined by what I do, then I am condemned. But it's not. My eternal future is in what Jesus Christ did for me. Amen. This is the heart of our faith. This is the great confession. And that's the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that? When a person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that is the confession they're making, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And I put my faith and my trust in Him and Him alone. Listen, I was in the church for 20 years, going to church, acting like I was a believer, acting like things were right. My, I went to church nine months before I was born. I, I, never, I don't ever remember not being in church. I never, we had never had a Sunday morning at our house where we got up when I was growing up and we made a decision if we were going to go to church or not. We knew what we were going to do. But it wasn't until I was 20 years old that I finally came to the realization of who Jesus really is and what Jesus did. Amen. Even though I'd been baptized when I was nine years old. But I gave my heart and my life to Jesus. He changed me. He transformed me. See, we are building a church with people, and a great church is built with people who make the great confession, but also who practice the great commandments. Now, the term great commandments comes from Jesus' response to a question during his final week before the cross. It's found in Matthew 22. This is a very important passage of Scripture, folks. Very important. And it's beginning in verse 35 where it says, and one of them, a lawyer, a lawyer meaning uh, one who was a lawyer in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the, the religious law. And he says, uh, a lawyer asked him the question to test him. Teacher, 
which is the great commandment uh, uh, in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You see what Jesus did here is he sums up the whole of a godly life under two headings, and that is love for God and love for one another. And so we are in the people building business. Our goal is to build a church who have made up of people who have a great passion in their life for an ever-increasing love for God. You see, becoming a, a Christian or becoming a church member is not the end. It's the beginning of a, of a life of growth and increasing in your faith. The great writers of, of the faith have often likened the passion that we have for God is a, like a hunger. You know, you ever, you know, we don't really know a whole lot about being hungry in this country, do we? But, but you, maybe you've been off somewhere and you got hungry and you couldn't find anything, and you have that hunger. And that's that love for God. It's like a, a hunger. And in fact, if you look at uh, the, a, a verse or two before what our text is found there in First Peter, he, he, the, you, you see how Peter uh, describes this life of faith. He says, like newborn infants long for the spiritual or the pure spiritual milk that by it they may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. All of us have had babies. We know what it's like when they want some milk, right? You either get it or you listen to them crying out, crying out, right? You're going to do it. They, they're crying for it. Well, see, love, that is this genuine passion for God, will draw you closer to Him. And the closer you get to Him, the closer you'll want to be. That's the way it is with Him. The closer you get to Him, the more you want to be with Him. And, and this love is all-consuming. Jesus said it this way. He said it involves your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. In other words, it, it involves how you believe. It involves how you feel. It involves how you think and how we use your resources and your abilities. Listen, Highland, I know it is your desire. I hope it is your desire to build a church where people love God that much. Amen. That we love Him. But real love for God always overflows into a compassionate and a practical regard for those around us. Real love, God, you know, God always uses that to affect how we relate to others. It's going to, you know, if you're really in love with the Lord... It's going to affect how you uh, 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 relate to your family, your friends, your neighbors, even your enemies, especially those who are in need around you, the poor, the needy. You see, the Bible teaches that there is something suspiciously phony about a professed love for God that does not translate into a, a corresponding love for others. Our goal is to build a church of people who love God and love others so much and so they, that, that they want to do those things that are, that are best and right for those people around us. It's a love for God, like newborn infants longing for pure spiritual milk, that by it they may grow up into salvation. 
And so a people who practice the great commandments, that's the building of a great church. But then thirdly, those who form a great communion. That word communion is an interesting word. We often use it in reference to the Lord's Supper, don't we? We call it the communion sometimes. Uh, mostly in the Baptist tradition, we've always referred to it as the Lord's Supper, but many people today, they refer to it as a communion. Uh, and so we, we use it that way. It's, it, 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 it's, it's one of the Bible's descriptive terms of partaking of the cup and the loaf and doing that in remembrance of Jesus. But the term is used in this context for another reason, if you will. It's not so much talking about the, the fact that we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we do communion together, although it does mean that. The, the biblical word behind the English term here is the word koinonia. You know, and koinonia is, literally means something, to have something in common. It means to share. It means to is sometimes referred to and translated as partnership. It is the word that we use for fellowship. Now, I know in Baptist life, you know what fellowship is, right? You do it back there with some food. I know that's, that's what that is. It's cake, coffee, or whatever. Most everything we do involves food. And, um, you know, I'm going to this homecoming next week, and, and it's going to have a lot of food. A lot of food. Because that's the way those things are. But, but, but you see, it really is much, much more than food. It's talking about something that we share in common. You note that this is used in places like Acts chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we read Paul talking to the church at Philippi. It says in Philippians 1, 5, I thank God. He said, because of your partnership in the gospel. And then when it is used to refer to the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, it says the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation of, a partnership in the blood of Christ, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And so here's the, here's the point. Christianity is a team sport, folks. It's a team activity. God has made us that way. He has, con he has constructed our, uh, our lives in such a way in our relationship with Him that we need one another in that relationship. A person who thinks that they can be a growing, effective Christian, and they can do that over time uh, by themselves out there, they can just go out there. I've heard people say, you know, listen, I can worship God on my boat out in the Gulf or on the river. Oh, it's a beautiful place. I can worship God in my deer stand. I can worship God. All, all the, you can worship God like that. I'm not saying you can't. But over time, if you separate yourselves from the people of God, if you separate yourselves from the communion that we are to have with other believers, listen, if you think that you're going to be an effective growing Christian, I want to tell you folks, you're dead wrong. That's not true. 
I've never seen it happen. That's not God's plan. A person might survive for a while that way, but not long. And so such uh, solitary thinking misunderstands God's plan, but also really underestimates our enemy's schemes. And he's always working, and we need each other. Listen, the, the Bible's explanation of this in Ephesians 4, 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it's built, it builds itself up in love. Some of what God wants to do in your life he doesn't do directly. Some of what he wants to do in your life is through somebody else. He works in their life so they can work in your life. And see, some of the things that he wants to do in you is not so much for you as what he wants you to use in somebody else's life. That's the beauty of the body. That's the beauty of how we are we're put together. Uh, this is why, you know, the, the Bible uses the term communion for the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is both vertical and horizontal. It reminds us of what Christ has done for us. See, listen, He took care of the vertical. But it also reminds us of the brotherhood and devotion that we have with one another. You know, it, it, it might be kind of sacrilegious to say it like this, but we might, like need, might need to be like the three musketeers who said one for all and all for one, right? Amen. That's the way it is. It might be like the team who gets over there on the sideline or out there in the middle of the court or field or whatever, and they all get together and they all put their hands in there and they say something or go or something, they come out of there. And what they're saying, they're, they're talking about we're a team, right? We're a team working together. We're part of a communion. And that is that like you see when you... When you are taking communion, as you did not long ago here, when you're taking communion and you take that piece of bread and that little cup from that tray or however you do it, you have other people all around you who are doing the exact same thing for the exact same reason. And we're doing it together. We may not say it, but we are declaring all for one and one for all. Everything for Jesus. You see, we are in the business of building people. Building a church of people who are together form a great communion. But then lastly, finally, the communion of fellowship has a purpose. And that is we are building a church of people who work together. To fulfill a great commission. To fulfill the great commission. Now, like it or not, when you bowed before Jesus and you said, Lord, I trust you. I ask you to forgive my sins, come in my heart, come in my life, save me. I freely receive what you have done for me on Calvary. When you did that, you accepted a mission. You accepted a mission. 
It's been the church's ongoing mission now for 2,000 years. Jesus stated it in several ways, but one of, the, one of the premier ways that we see in the Scripture is found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And some of us in the church, we've got so familiar with this that we just kind of breeze over it. But don't breeze over it, for here's what He said. Jesus said, and, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The meaning, folks, is clear. Together we have a task of sharing Jesus with the world. It's your job. It's my job. It's what God has given to us to do. And God has given us that task to help people that one day when they stand before Jesus, Jesus can say to them, come enter into the joy of your reward. God's desire is that every man and woman and child come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you stand in your theology, but that's mine. That it's open to everybody. That his, that his call is to every man, every boy, every girl, every woman. And that, that, that a person can come to know Jesus, can follow Him in, in baptism and continue to grow in obedience to Him. And what they know, then they begin to share that with others. Now we're not, you know, when you're on a team, you don't all play the same position. Not every person needs to be a preacher. Not every person needs to be a pastor. Not every person needs to be a, a, an evangelist in the sense of going around preaching in churches and those kind of things. Not every person is called to be a missionary to go onto a field somewhere. But every one of us needs to get in the game when it comes to evangelism. We all need to be doing it. Every believer needs to find their position and they need to play it. It certainly includes prayer. It includes inviting your friends and your family to church. You know, including, say a good word for Jesus today. Somewhere. If it's the person at the Tom Thumb or the Circle K or the Walmart or wherever it is, say a good word for Jesus today. And if you talk about him, please act like you know him. You know, Really. Our roles may be different, but the goal is the same. And here's our goal that we are attempting to do as a church. You know, listen, this is the blueprint. This is the blueprint for Highland. It's the blueprint for every church that names the name of Jesus Christ, that we are a church that building people who believe the great confession. That is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior who died for our sins. And that we practice the great commandments Loving God and loving our neighbors with everything we are. And we form this great communion, a partnership, a partnership of team working for God and for each other. And that we work together to fulfill the great commission, the spreading of the love of, of Jesus Christ by spreading the message of Jesus Christ across the street and across the world. That's what we're called to do. That's a great church, folks. That's a great church. And, and listen, I'm going to tell you something. 
you know, I, I was at my last church 34 years, and I preached just like I'm preaching right now. And I said things just like I'm about to say right now. I told our people this, that is this bus. That, that, everything I just told you today, that's the bus we are on. And if you don't want to be on that bus, then you're in the wrong place. I told them that. I mean, I said, listen, that's who we are. That's what we're doing. And if that's not what you want to do, if that's not what you want to accomplish, then you're in the wrong place. Because that's what God's called us to do. And I said that with all the love I can say, but that's, that's what God called you to do. That's what God has called Highland to do. I'm sure there are a lot of people who have known about this church and know about this church, and they say, that's a great church. They might be saying, oh, that's a pretty building. They might be saying something else, but, and, and they may be saying exactly what I'm saying right here. But the job of this church is to build a great church. To build a great church of people who make a great confession, of people who, who live out the great commandments, who form a great communion, and who work together to fulfill the Great Commission. I hope that's what you want to do. And I hope that's what you're praying. God will provide you a pastor who's going to come in here and lead you to do just this. Would you stand as we pray? Heavenly Father, I ask you, Lord, now that you would just be Lord of this invitation. I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, it would be the desire of every man and woman in this room, every boy, every girl, to be this kind of church. This is what you've, you've called on us to build. You've called on us to grow. It's the kind of church that will change a community. It's the kind of church where families' lives are changed, where people are saved and moms and dads are, get right with you and children get right with you. And we see miracles happen, things that could only be explained that you did it. Lord, I pray that you just put a fire in every person in this church right now to build that kind of church. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just heard a message from God's Word, and now it's your chance to respond. What is God calling you to do in response to today's message? Let us know by going to hbcmolino.com forward slash life. We'd love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us today on the Highland Network. Enjoy your day.